You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. And it's a great blessing to be back here with you tonight. And I appreciate so much uh, your pastor, his hospitality, his friendship, and uh, what a great uh, honor it is to be here with you. And I've, I think I've been in this church now a, a good number of times through the years. And uh, I remember all the way back when you all were praying about this facility. And uh, I mean, it was, uh, it was only a, an idea, it was a prayer. And then I heard that you got it. And then I heard that Pastor Cobernot came, and uh, he brought me here, and man, it's just been great coming back here year to year, and uh, I don't know, I think it's my fourth time here with Pastor Cobernot, and uh, Pastor, thank you so much for the privilege of having us here. Wasn't that a great song that Brother Nathan brought for us tonight? And uh, that's one of, uh, I never heard that song until uh, our friend Alvin Martinez. I heard him sing it first. I closed my eyes. I said, is that Alvin? Man, I mean, that was great. And uh, I tell you, uh, you ever want to have a life highlight, you take a trip to the Philippines and travel around with Brother Alvin Martinez. And he and I went to Iloilo to Brother Rick Martin's on a Wednesday night. And uh, how many of anybody here know who Rick Martin is? And uh, Brother Rick Martin, we got there to the to their they call it a complex. It's a big, uh, just a place they have. And uh, we got there Wednesday afternoon. I had never met Rick Martin. And we went up and there was a guy who was leading uh, a youth choir with about 75 kids. Very uh, small man, very frail. Uh, had a little clipboard in his hand. And I walked up with Brother Martinez. and said, hey, uh, do you know Brother Martin where he is? He said, uh, well, let's go over here. He lives right there. So uh, over right there inside of the church compound or complex, we walked over and there was a, a little house. He opened the door, he didn't even knock. And he said, uh, Brother Martin, are you here? And uh, Mrs. Martin was in there and said, what are you doing? I said, is Brother Martin here? She said, Rick, what do you want? Well, that was Brother Martin. He pulled a trick on me. And, uh, and you know, he's the most unassuming guy, but probably most Sundays... There are anywhere between twenty to 25,000 people in churches all over the Philippine Islands, and God uses him in such an amazing way. And I'll never forget that night, Brother Alvin and I, Susan and the kids had to stay over in Manila. Uh, they couldn't make the trip that year. It was just Brother Alvin and myself, and uh, man, the choir sang, and the kids sang, uh, about that name above every name, every kindred, every tribe, every nation, hallelujah to the Lamb. I found myself on the ground, uh, on my face, on the ground, just weeping. It was just, oh, it was just unbelievable. And then a little bit later, Brother Martinez got up and he sang that song and he sang another one. And he, he sang, I asked him to, I asked him to sing Five Rows Back. And uh, man, that was amazing. And uh, man, you know, there are highlights in your life that you get to experience. And times like that, we never forget. And then we hear a good gospel song that reminds us and brings it all back uh, to memory. You know, when you hit a certain age, you start reminiscing. And sometimes it's not good. Amen? We had a pastor preach for us uh, in Atlanta, and he preached a sermon. And uh, the night before, he'd preached for over an hour, and he wasn't an hour speaker, but he <laughs> repeated himself. So... 
we went to lunch that afternoon the next day, and, and he said, man, I preached a little bit long. His wife was with him, and she was from West Virginia, and she said, yeah, a little bit long, you, you killed the meeting, Brother Jack. And I mean, and, uh, he was, he's in heaven now, this dear brother. You killed the meeting, Jack. And uh, I said, man, well, I didn't mean that. She said, oh, you killed it, come on. She said, now tonight, when you're preaching, she said, if you get off the track, I'm going to sit on the front row and I'm going to do like this. You better listen to me. I said, sister, I'd like you to go with me everywhere I go. Amen. And uh, so I'll try not to do that to you tonight. Sure enough, he started repeating himself. And she said, hey. And I, and I, I was behind him. I told him I would give him a heads up. I said, repeat, repeat. Oh, thank you, brother. Amen. And he turned around. He finally brought the plane down to a landing. Amen. And uh, I mean, guys get airborne and they're preaching. And you know, they're coming in. The sermon's almost over. You know, all right, we're going home. And uh, they come down, and somebody at the wrong place says, Yes, amen. They just back up again, say, Don't do that. Don't egg them on. But uh, we'll see how things go tonight. I heard about a, uh, a preacher. He was preaching, man. He was firing away. He was waxing eloquent. He forgot what time it was. And he got into the over an hour, and then he got into the second hour. And I mean, it was way past 12.30, and uh, people were getting fidgety. He looked over, and a man got up and started walking out. And he said, Brother Jones, where are you going? He, he said, Deacon Jones, where are you going? Deacon Jones said, get a haircut. He said, you should have got one before church. He said, I didn't need one before church. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we will, uh, yeah, we'll try to get with the program. Turn in your Bibles tonight, please. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to a very, very familiar portion in your Bible. This is something that has been preached from, read, quoted every night just about. Believe it or not, of all the places on the Sean Hannity show, and not exactly an upstanding believer in Christ, but uh, I hear him say it all the time. I'd like us to turn to John chapter number 14. John chapter number 14. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. If you need to miss any meeting, if you have to miss a meeting, you should have missed tonight. But tomorrow night, make sure that you're in church. Please make sure you are in church. I'm going to preach tomorrow night, the Lord willing, on the subject of the birth pains of deliverance. I'm going to preach on the second coming of Christ where he said, all these are the beginning of sorrows. We need to be urgent about the work of God. Souls are dying. People are perishing. We heard about my people, 62 million of my people that are lost without a gospel witness. And uh, our dear brother uh, will be going uh, not far uh, from where my family came from. Uh, I am a second generation Italian and American, and uh, my grandmother came over from Italy with 11 children, uh, or, or 12 rather. Her 13th child was born under a fruit tree in Waxhaw, North Carolina, just uh, two weeks after they came over from Italy. And uh, she was a fruit picker. She went out into the fields, picked fruit, had her 13th child under a tree, and she finished picking that afternoon. And uh, they didn't have six-month maternity leave. Amen? They definitely didn't have six-month paternity leave like they have today. But uh, no, she went back to work. 
and they moved up to Maryland to find work to Sparrows Point uh, during some of the uh, Depression days. And my dad was born as a simple shoemaker. He played music at night. He uh, was a wonderful clarinetist. He was well known all all over the East Coast, and he uh, fixed shoes by day. And they came from northern Italy uh, and the area where uh, near where Brother Denno is going. In fact, my sister, uh, my oldest sister, went to Ancestry.com a few years ago. She sent out a terrible text message to my whole family. She said, we are not Italian. She said, we are not from Italy. I sent her a text back and said, thou art not from Italy. I am from Italy. And uh, maybe, you, <laughs> maybe you got in some other way, but my family's from Italy, amen? And uh, so uh, she, uh, it went back and forth. Well, she found out uh, that part of the northern Italy where Brother Dano is going used to be a part of France because she said, we are really French. I said, no, we're not French. I don't like anything French. I don't like the, you know, I'm Italian, amen? Uh, I'm not, I'm allergic to French fries, but I mean, uh, we are, we're Italian through, and so uh, praise God for his burden to go there. And of course, you know, uh, some of the first Gentiles was Cornelius and uh, the Italian band got saved by the grace of God. And uh, so you pray uh, for the Lord's hand on Brother Denno. John 14, let's stand together. For the reading of the Word of God, John 14 and verse number 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the Word of God. I pray that I'll honor it. I pray that I'll do great justice to it. May the Word of God have free course among us tonight. Thank you for the missionaries. Thank you for your hand upon this place. And I pray you'll speak to hearts about our great uh, burden, our great desire to reach the regions beyond. Thank you for what you will do tonight, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said together, you may be seated. Thank you for standing for so long. Our text tonight is a great chapter in your Bible, and if you know not much about the book of John, you know that John 14, even John 13, are the verses and the great chapters of the Bible uh, leading right up to the days of Christ's crucifixion and burial and resurrection from the grave. In fact, the Lord Jesus is now 
beginning to celebrate Passover with his disciples. A few days later, he will come back into the city of Jerusalem. They will cry, Hosanna to the son of David. They will cry out, glory to God in the highest. They will rejoice and praise him for a very short time. And just a few days later, those same voices will cry, crucify him. His blood be upon us and upon our children and our children's children. We find the Lord Jesus is gathered with his disciples. He is trying very hard to communicate to them the fact that he must go away, that he must be killed, that he must die on the cross. And his disciples are very bothered. They're very troubled, if you will, about a lot of things. He says to them in chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The word troubled means to agitate. It means to disquiet. It means to make restless. It's a picture there of water. It is a picture of a lake. It is a picture of a still pond that is suddenly being windswept and torn and, and churned up and without warning, suddenly very, very troubled. Several months ago, we were here in the summer for our grandson for his birthday. We went to a lake uh, west of uh, the city of Raleigh. The name of the lake escapes me right now. If you said it, I would remember it, but uh, it was a pretty good-sized lake, and uh, we rented a boat. We rented a pontoon. It was going to be a great time. We were so excited, and uh, it's a lake, and the bridge goes over that. You go right out of the west side of Raleigh, not too far, beautiful area. I'm sure you've been there at some time in your life. We got the idea, let's go camping. So we got tents, and we set up camps, and uh, we had a little campground all set up, and my wife and our daughter Bethany and our two grandchildren, our son and daughter, what a time we were going to have. We got the camp all set up. We bought our grandson a little pop-up tent, gave it to him. We set it up for his birthday just so, a little green, beautiful pop-up tent. My wife and I had ours all set up. Now listen, I was a Boy Scout. Unfortunately, it was a long time ago, and I forgot a lot of the stuff they taught me. We were all set up. Uh, we had the boat, and uh, we took the boat out on the lake, and it was a beautiful day, but it was calling for storms. It was calling for a thunderstorm, and I kept watching, and every now and then I'd see a cloud form on the horizon. I thought we'd better be careful here. Uh, I'll never forget, uh, we went back to the campground. Susan, uh, I dropped Susan and the kids off. It's got a little beach right there at the camp. You pull into one of the little coves, and there were other little boats, and uh, uh, man, we were really roughing it, you know. It was going to be a great time. They had to run up to the store for a few items. I said, you go to the store. I will take the boat back. And uh, when I take the boat back, uh, uh, you can pick me up at the marina. I will call you. Everything was great. I dropped them off. Then I remembered I needed something back at the campground. I went back to the campground tied the boat up, and I noticed it was getting just a little bit windy all of a sudden out. Uh, the rain was coming in a slow drizzle. I tied the boat up, walked up to the campground, and when I say uh, a mini tornado came across that lake, I'm not kidding. I looked up, and it just came straight at me. It was a, I mean, it was just a wall of water all of a sudden. I said, wow, I think I'm going to get wet. Without warning, I mean, I was just standing there in a deluge. I had to get behind a tree because the water uh, was coming 
coming so hard and the wind was blowing sticks and stuff at me, hitting me in the face. So I hid behind a tree. I thought, this is it. I'm going to be caught out of here in a tornado. I've always liked Elijah, but not that much. Say amen to that. I'm going out of here. And boy, I was, uh, I was just watching. I looked. The wind came. Our little tent that we had bought our grandson picked up and flew across and hung up in a tree. There it was. I mean, just stuck. And then I looked at our tent and it just flattened right before my eyes. Everything in the campground was blowing. And then I turned and the pontoon boat that we had rented was blowing straight down the cove. It was running faster by the wind than it did with the motor uh, of the boat. And I thought, oh man, I had to run down there and I ran out in the water. I was mud from head to toe. I mean, it was a mess all the way on the end of the cove. I got the anchor rope and tried to pull it and get it out of there. And finally, I got in and started the, the a motor up, faced it into the wind, pulled out. And I mean, it was really a very uh, a precarious spot. There was a couple across the cove and I could just see them staring at me. They weren't helping at all. I mean, in fact, the, the woman had a camera. I said, don't you dare put this on YouTube. But I mean, uh, and I can just see it now, idiot trying to catch a boat in a tornado. But anyway, uh, I mean, it was a really nasty time. Finally calmed down a little bit. I said, well, I'm getting this boat out of here and taking it back. I took off across the lake. It started all over again in the lake, and I was surrounded by lightning striking the lake. Anybody ever seen lightning strike the water? It hit several times. I thought, no, forget the tornado. Let's X that out. I will now be electrocuted out on the lake. And so I looked like a little, just a chicken on a spit. I mean, unbelievable. We finally got it in. I was so glad. I found out what troubled really means, to be absolutely agitated, to be stirred up, to be absolutely uh, just turbulent. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. They were troubled about four or five things. I'll only give you a few for time's sake tonight. I think they were greatly troubled about the cross that he would endure. He was letting them know, I'm going away. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. In fact, he made it very clear uh, in the book of, Saul, in the book of uh, Luke chapter 9. He straightly charged them, commanded them to tell no man that thing saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain and raised the third day. He was making it clear that he was going to die. He was going to suffer. He kept trying to com communicate that and convey that to their mind, but they continually changed the subject. And Peter would intervene and they would say, oh, well, Lord, what about the kingdom? And what about this? They didn't want to hear about his death on the cross. They were troubled about that. They were troubled not only about the cross, they were troubled about the cleansing that one would miss. He began to wash their feet. He began to teach them a wonderful principle to wash their feet, to be one another's servant, that the greatest of all shall be the what? Help me. 
servant of all. Not the one who sits on the highest chair. Not the one who has the most degrees behind his name. You can have more degrees than a thermometer and be lost as a goose. Do you want, amen? Uh, but understand, it would not be that man who has reached uh, some high status in life. It'd be the one who'd be willing to love one another and care about one, or, one another and serve one another in the things of God. And they were bothered about that. But Jesus said to them, in chapter 13 of John's gospel, look at it please, and verse number 10, he is communicating to them, I'm going to the cross. Jesus said to him, he that is washed needeth not save, uh, save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Ye are clean, but what? Not all. He knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. This happens in the middle of a foot washing uh, ceremony. Anybody here ever been to one of those, an old fashioned foot washing ceremony? And everybody ever been to that? Uh, years ago, I was preaching in a church, a little church. I went to get the, my hair cut uh, at the local barber. And uh, I started to invite the barber up to the church. And we were talking a little bit. His name was Keith. And I said, hey, Keith, um, I'm preaching a revival up the, up the way. Oh, really? Uh, great. I said, would you like to come? like to have you come and be my guest. He said, well, where, where's the revival? I said, it's up here at Cornish Mountain Baptist Church. And he said, uh, Cornish Mountain. He said, well, uh, that's my church. I'm a member there. I said, oh, I've been there for two days. I haven't seen you. He said, well, uh, I don't go. I never attend. I said, but uh, I'm a member there. My family's buried out back. Boy, when somebody has their grave markers out behind the church, you might get in trouble if you say the wrong thing. Do I have an amen? And uh, boy, he was one of the church owners. He said, that's my church. That's my family church. He said, we, we've been in there forever. I said, well, how do you like the pastor? I said, he sure is a great guy. He said, well, uh, I don't know, who, who is he? I said, his name's Brother Bill. And I gave his name. He said, yeah, he won't be around long. We don't keep them long. We keep them about one or two years and we always get another one uh, in case one of them starts getting too comfortable. You know, we just uh, keep them moving. Boy, that was discouraging. I went to the church and uh, Saturday morning we had a men's meeting down uh, in the basement. Uh, it was a great meeting. We had a great little hall down there, a little fellowship hall, and uh, had a meeting in the morning. Then we had uh, had dinner, had lunch rather, uh, had some Brunswick stew. How many know what Brunswick stew is? So I mean, had a big old pot of that, cornbread. We had a time. And I mean, I was eating, standing in line, and there was a young, I got an older guy behind me. He said, my name's Brother Gerald. I said, hey, Gerald. He said, I'm a deacon in this church. I said, I'm glad to know it. I've been to treasure too. I said, man, that's awesome. I, I thought I'll get you a t-shirt and a ball cap. Say amen. And uh, he said, now, he said, let me tell you this, brother. Uh, he said, I, I'll tell you what the problem in this church is. I said, really? I'll tell you right now. I'll show you exactly what the problem is. I said, what's the problem, man? He said, right there. And he pointed to the pastor. I said, oh, he said, it's, it's that preacher. And a couple of these, of these guys, but it's that preacher. That's the problem. I said, I understand you've had a lot of preachers here. Were they all the problem? He said, yeah, well, that, that guy's a problem. I said, okay. I said, Brother Gerald, in about a half an hour at the men's meeting, I'm going to preach about you. And you'll probably know exactly when I'm preaching about you. And uh, I won't call your name, but it'll be about you. How's that sound? He said, man, uh, no, I'm going to preach about you. I said, you really, you really ought to be there. He said, all right, yeah, I'll be there. He got kind of excited about it. <laughs> I preached on mark them that cause division among you and avoid such. 
And I found in the Sunday school office, man, I felt like God put that there. It was the biggest marker. It's one of those big old marks a lot jumbos, amen? Big old uh, large uh, marker. And I said, there's a man in this church sowing discord. He is talking about the pastor. He's running the man of God into the ground. And I said, he's got about 30 seconds to stand up and repent and confess it, or I'm going to put a dot on your head bigger than any scarab beetle you've ever seen in your life, brother. I'm going to put a mark on you, and they'll think you came straight over from India. Amen? I mean, I'm going to put this right, right there on your forehead. And he, they were looking at me and get big, got real big-eyed and bright-eyed. And I, I looked around. I thought, uh-oh, there's five or six of them looking nervous. And that old boy, he said, it was me. He stood up. It was me. He said, I need to say a word. He got up. And that guy got honest. He got real honest. He said, preacher, I've been running you into the ground. He said, brother John, I've been running you into the ground. Started calling people by name. He said, I've been mad at everybody and their brother. He said, Brother Rossi, you preached here before. I've told people I don't like you and don't want to hear you preach. And he went on and on. He said, I've been full of the devil. Please ask me, offer, please forgive me. Another man got upset. I've been causing trouble. Another, another. Man, it was on. And Brother Gerald said, I resign as a deacon. I resign as a treasurer. I'm sorry that I've been, I, I'm not even fit to hold office. And uh, the pastor said, oh, that's fine, brother. We forgot. I said, whoa, hold on, hold on. Take that, take that resignation. <laughs> take that resignation right there. Say amen. And uh, you know, that old boy got himself so honest that he sent off and got materials. And what is a biblical deacon? What's a biblical treasure? What's a biblical servant? He was restored about a year later. I said, hey, let's, let's hold that. Let's restore this man of God. Let's love him and care about him. Let's forgive him. Say amen. Let's forgive him. And he got right. Man, it was on. And then we had a foot washing ceremony. The pastor already had it planned. And I've never been to a service like that. I mean, men were weeping, saying, I love you, brother. I'm just here to serve you. They were pouring water on one another's feet. That was the atmosphere this last day or two before the Lord Jesus would go to the cross. That was the atmosphere among those men at that last Passover meal together. That was the atmosphere before they crucified Him and beat Him and mocked Him. And there was a tender moment where God was moving, but they were concerned about this one. Uh, the, uh, the, they, were, they were troubled about the cleansing that one missed. They were troubled about the concern of betrayal. He said, one of you is going to betray me. And they all said, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Peter said, I'll never betray you. I'll never betray you, though all men betray you. Listen, I like Peter. And when you see him in heaven, you'll recognize him. He'll be the man with the large foot-shaped mouth. Amen? He would say the wrong thing and then think about it later. He would say it, out she'd fly. Amen? And uh, by the way, once you say something, you can't reel it back in. Say amen to that. And man, uh, he was something. And he said, I'll never deny you. Though all men deny you. And the Lord said, I'm going to be betrayed by this Judas who's going to betray me. And there was concern over betrayal. They were troubled over the cock that would, that would crow. He said, Verily I say unto you, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. He said, Three times. You're going to curse and swear that you never knew me. Man, that's bothersome. This news has just killed the moment. He has been washing their feet. They've been having this incredible service. 
They've been having God moving and working in their midst. How many of you ever had God moving in your life and stirred up and saw a great video and said, I got stirred about missions and man, I'm going to do more for the cause of Christ. I'm going to sell some things and give it to missionaries and get rid of debt so we can do more for the cause of Christ and do more for faith promise. Somebody say amen right there. And do more for Jesus Christ and invest into the kingdom. But man, you can just write this down. The more stirred up you get about the things of God, the devil is going to show up discouragement is going to show up. You come down off the mountaintop of a youth camp or a great revival, and man, you are just ready to go. And the next thing you know, you man, you're coughing and sputtering and go in and get your nose swabbed, and they put that cheerleader's baton right up your nose. And brother, uh, they come back and say, uh, you have COVID-19. You're sick for three weeks. It's amazing how life comes at us. Am I telling the truth? And then what did he say to us? Let not, let not your heart be troubled. Man, the little boat might be floating down the stream faster than you can catch it. I was thinking about $20,000 in my name that I would have to replace that boat if it flipped over and capsized. It was in my name. And then trying to get that tent out of the tree. And then put up the other tent again for the third time because it had already fallen down once. And they ought to just have tents that you just open the box like a, remember the old jet, remember the old little things you turn the handle and a jack in the box that would pop up? I need a tent like that, say amen. But, but he said, let not, let not your heart be troubled. He gave him two or three things. I don't think we ought to have our, our, our heart be troubled, first of all, because of our confidence in God. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in who? Me. He said, you believe in God, you believe in God the Father in chapter 14, verse 1. He said, if you believe in that, believe also in me. He's saying, the Father has sent me. God the Father has, has sent me into this world. He was the only begotten uh, Son of God. And therefore, he said, you believe in God, believe also in me. I mentioned last night in Psalm 138, verse 7, it bears repeating. I've been meditating on this verse. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thy hand against the, uh, in, against the wrath of mine enemies. You understand, trouble might be an indicator that God is about to do something great in your life. Trouble might be an indicator that God is about to show himself strong. There's no mission work without trouble. There's no soul winning without trouble. There's no church building without trouble. There's no Christian school uh, getting on the ground and getting off the ground and rolling without some trouble. Everything we do is going to cause trouble. In fact, Job said, man is full of days as the sparks fly upward and full of what? Trouble. We're going to have some trouble, brother. It's going to happen. I've got news for you. There's three, kind, three people in this room. Some of you are in trouble. Man, that's a tough place. Amen to that? Say amen right there. You're in the middle of it. You say, yeah, preacher, I stay in the middle of trouble. Some of you are in trouble. Some of you just came out of trouble. And trouble 
when you get out of it and God finally delivers you, tell me that's not a wonderful event. I mean, isn't that a wonderful thing? At the birth of one of our babies, my wife had quite the labor. She got all done, and we were just holding this beautiful little girl. And she looked up at me and said, she's so beautiful, honey. I want to have another one. I said, that's Demerol speaking right there, amen? But I mean, that's an epidural or something. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, she just looked up and said, I just want to have one more. And I mean, unbelievable. You almost, you just forget. Isn't it true when the trouble's over and the trials are past? It's like they never even happen. Or those who are in trouble, or those that are coming out of trouble, and I got real good news, the third group is trouble is right around the corner. Isn't that exciting, amen? None of us like trouble, but Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. We can have confidence in God. Secondly, He is coming for His own. We can, uh, we can live a life without trouble knowing this, sure of a surety, Jesus is going to come. Look at what He said. Uh, stay with me. Chapter 14, verse number 2. In my Father's house are many hotel rooms. Is that what He said? I heard somebody on the radio and he said, in my father's house are many rooms. I said, well, hold on for a minute. Yeah, and he was preaching from some funny version of the Bible. And he, I don't know if it was that false Italian version he was preaching from. He said, in my father's house are many rooms. And he had a, quite a distinct, unusual little voice. I was annoyed as soon as I heard him. And he said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I said, my dear friend, I don't know if he's a brother, my dear friend, I feel sorry for you. I don't want to spend eternity in a room. Pastor got us a very nice hotel room, and we're thankful for it, and we've been in some very nice rooms. I've been in rooms at, uh, man, just some of the most beautiful places on the planet. I've also been in the Motel 6, and I've been in places that would have made, made uh, Motel 6 feel like Taj Mahal. I mean, I've been in places where, you know, the roaches jumped into your uh, suitcase. I had to empty my suitcase one time. There were so many bugs in there. I threw everything out that was in that suitcase. I didn't even take it home. And I'm telling you, there's some nasty places out here. But, but I've been in some nice places. We stayed in the Shangri-La Makati, which is in uh, Manila in the Philippines. One of the most beautiful hotels really in Southeast Asia. Beautiful place. But you know, as nice as that room was, I, I think eternity in that place would be real small. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many what? Mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. We've got a mansion just over the hilltop. He's got something great for us. I have not seen, neither ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which, thing which God hath prepared for them that love Him. How many of you ladies are decorators? Can I see your hand? You like to decorate? My wife is a, I mean, she's incredible. She is a, a expert decorator. She is really, really good. Imagine what heaven will be like when we get there. He knows exactly what we love the most. We're going to walk in the most beautiful uh Chantilly lace white room, uh, the, the the living room with beautiful gray accents, with this new gray and just the right black. We're looking uh, to paint a wall black. You know how many shades of black there are? <laughs> Hundreds of shades. Hundreds. She said, "Which one do you like better?" Oh, I like all of them. Put them all in there. 
but, and we'll probably paint at least three or four of them until we get the right one. Say amen. But it's going to be perfect because God knows exactly what you love the most. He knows exactly what's in your heart. And when you walk into that mansion, it's going to be an incredible place. It's going to have uh, beautiful streets of gold. You're going to walk in and uh, a beautiful place that He is making, preparing for you. You'll walk in and say, what's that smell? Man, it's going to be spaghetti gravy just coming to a little bit of a boil with little bubbles just on the top. Don't give me any spaghetti sauce. I want gravy. Say amen to that. And I mean, brother, there's going to be ziti and macaroni. There's going to be manicotti. There's going to be all kinds of good stuff. Mortadella ham on a little tray. And it's going to be a wonderful day. And I mean to tell you that heaven is going is a real place we ought to be comforted by that we ought to realize he is going to come let me hurry up he said in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you i go to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you look at verse three i want you to look at it if i will if i go and prepare a place for you next four words read them out loud I come again. It doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like a possibility to me. I will come again and receive you unto myself, the where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus is coming back. A PBS documentary a few years ago was entitled The Last Days of Jesus. They discovered, through architectural findings, 20 feet below sea level, right near the western wall of the temple in the city of Jerusalem, what the architects entitled and labeled as complexes of mansions. Complexes of mansions. Not far from there was the temple. And not far from that spot is exactly where Jesus was when he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And they would have looked right over at those complexes, those neighborhoods of beautiful, ornate mansions that were some of the nicest and most beautiful dwelling places in all the city of Jerusalem. Do you understand? He was showing them, that's the kind of a dwelling place I have for you. That's the place you're going to live in. How are we all going to fit when you take a city that's four square? That means it's as wide and as deep and as high and tall as it is wide. When you take that city, you can fit all the populations of the world into that city many, many times over and despair. God is being literal. God is being true. Jesus is coming and it's going to be real. Now understand he may come any moment. Do I have an amen? The Bible says the Son of Man so cometh as a thief in the night. In the moment when you think not, the Son of Man cometh. I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I also believe in the imminent appearing of our Lord. That means any second, any moment, Jesus will come. He said two women would be in the field. One is taken, the other is not. Two men in the bed. One is taken, the other is not. In Matthew 24, he's talking about a day when he comes unexpectedly, he'll receive us unto himself. Imagine this. The most troubled, heartbroken day of your life. 
He said, I don't know what to do and I don't even know who to call. I'm so discouraged I can't even Facebook. I can't even Twitter. Amen? It doesn't even sound right still. I struggle with that. What are you doing? Tweeting. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Canary. God bless you. But, and I mean, in the, in the lowest moment of your life, can you imagine if Jesus came right then and there? And understand, he's going to come back. You say, preacher, you don't understand. I'm, I've got heartache. I've got sorrow. I've got burdens. So he made it clear that we need to have confidence in our confidence in God. Our, his coming for his own. And I'll close with this. The comforter that will come. He made it clear. I'm going away, but I'm going to send another comforter. Even the Spirit of truth. Let's read it so I don't misquote that and then we'll be done. Verse number 16, chapter 14, John's Gospel. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father, He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him. He said in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless I will come to you a little while, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live, you shall live also. Verse 26, he said, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And listen to these words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world give I uh, give, give I unto you. Let not your heart what, be troubled, neither be let it be afraid. He said, you can't be troubled by this world. The world's getting worse. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 3, the Bible says this, Know also in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, Truce breakers, fierce, incontinent, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. From such, turn away. You know what God said? He said there'd be a day when it'd be so bad, it would be so evil, that you turn your television on and you see a little girl, just a little girl. I mean, it's like a little baby out there at the Grand Tetons crying and asking the officers to help her and, and her boyfriend over in the other squad car telling his little story. I'm going to just give you my take on it. He did it. Amen? That's what I think. Anyway, I mean, what a sad day. A little girl leaves her home and now they find her and confirm today that little Gabby Patino is, is dead. You understand we're living in a generation where you can't even let your kids out of your sight unless they end up on the side of a milk carton somewhere as a missing child and wounded and hurt. You can't hardly speak to people anymore 
without them getting angry and upset and mad at you. And a man pulled up behind me just recently, and man, he, you know, gestured me in the back, right out of the car, was mad, pulled up alongside of me. I rolled the window down. And uh, he rolled the window. What? I said, I'm glad you think I'm number one. Say amen. But uh, I mean, he... Uh, Man, <laughs> but I'm telling you that uh, that could have ended differently. He could have pulled out a 357 and shot me through the window. He could have pulled out a Glock 9 and unloaded all, all you know, 10 rounds on me. I mean, we're living in a generation where we don't know the next moment what's going to happen. You know what Jesus said? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We have the Comforter. We have the power of God. And Brother Denno, you're going to you're going to a hard environment. A couple of fields represented here in this place. The UK last night, Italy tonight. These are places of darkness and places of great spiritual deception. The Italians, like central, much of Central America, have ornate buildings all over that they worship the idols and the figurines, and they truly believe through their sentimentalism and all that they have embraced that that's religion, and they're deceived and they need God. We have that power, that anointing, that presence of the Holy Ghost, the Comforter that will come our way, who comes alongside to help, who strengthens our walk with God, and allows us as His people to glorify Christ in all that we do. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I did not know what to preach to a dear old lady last week. She lost her husband. I'm closing. It was the saddest funeral I've ever conducted. We got to the graveside and I went to the funeral home to do a little service. It was only her and one friend of this man who had given 30 years on the canine unit in Baltimore County. Apparently the word had never gotten out. He gave 17 more years to the Sheriff's Department in Anne Arundel County. Something was miscommunicated. There literally was nobody there. We got done the funeral service at the, at the funeral home and the director said, well, you, are you going to do the interment? I said, ma'am, would you like? She said, oh, please. It was way across town near where I grew up, actually. We drove over there. There was nobody there. When we got there, she drove over in the funeral director's car because she had nobody to go with her in the hearse. We pulled up and a lady came out. I used the word lady, lady very loosely. A woman came out, she had overalls, she looked, she was a gardener basically, and she was rough from the city of Baltimore. What can I do for you, hon? Everybody's hun up there. And we said, we're, we're here for this committal. Okay, well, follow me. She pulls out a car and we followed her around, an old Chevy Cavalier. I mean, uh, we followed her around the cemetery, finally to the spot. And she'd been on the radio and she was making some calls. And five or six guys showed up, just workers from out on the groundskeepers, they were rough, you know, work boots. They were the pallbearers. I followed her up to the grave. We walked together. She went up to get a, one of the flowers off top of the casket. 
I thought for sure, I thought for sure that she was going to slip into that uh, spot between the casket that goes into the ground. Fortunately, this was not a hole in the ground. They just had it sitting there on solid ground. She'd have fallen right down between there. She got a flower and she stood there all alone. Funeral director was nearby, Mr. Stallings. And I, I conducted a funeral with one person and I preached from this chapter of the Bible. And I said, ma'am, I said, Miss Roseanne, all I can say to you is let not your heart be troubled. She interrupted me. She started to cry. She said, it'll all be fine, Pastor. Jesus is good to me. He's been my Savior. So I'm so worried about my husband, whether he died and went to heaven or not, but it's going to be okay. But man, she was more comforted than I was. She was better off than the funeral director was. She had more peace than any of us in the place. She said, it'll be all right. Because Jesus, he's been with me all these years. And I would say to each one of us tonight, let not your heart be troubled. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.